0: Welcome to the Wild and Free podcast, episode 59. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week, Elsie Uticello shares three ways we can manage motherhood on the hard days of homeschooling.
1: Friends, we can take a break and get back in the fight. We can wobble and still be in the fight. We can have days that leave us broken and still be in the fight. We can have week after week of bad days and still be in the fight. If it feels like everything is crashing down, stop and ask yourself to define what is really happening here is it really and truly failure or are you simply in the midst of battling a hard season
0: plus there are two opportunities for you to experience the beauty and joy of the wild and free farm village and we'll share those with you today so grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch let's get started I was five years old, I lived on the campus of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, where my father was a lieutenant colonel and professor. I spent countless hours outdoors, and for some reason, my mother trusted the place enough to let me roam unsupervised. Even as a five-year-old, I would spend the afternoons exploring the woods behind my house, playing in the alley with friends, or riding my bike around the neighborhood. One day, I was walking home from a friend's house, and must have looked a little lost. A young cadet saw me. The cadets often rode mules around campus and ended up giving me a ride back home. I pretended I was Sacagawea, returning to camp. Call me weird, but it was the highlight of my childhood. There was a giant boulder situated on the hill behind my home, not six feet up from the street. Sometimes when my mother called me in for dinner, I ignored her frantic calls. I hid behind the rock and pretended I was an orphan, lost in the woods. I was a weird child. Eventually, I grew up, got married, had children, and began homeschooling. And guess what? I'm still weird. I ditched the classroom to take my children for hikes in the woods. I piled them into the car to watch the sun rise over the ocean and search for sea glass before anyone else got to the beach. I visited museums and spent days just talking with my kids. I collect interesting nature finds and, just as I did as a child, tried to save all the worms on the sidewalk after the rain. In our schoolroom, instead of following a textbook and sitting at desks, my children enjoyed freshly made scones and hot tea as we read books on a picnic blanket in the backyard. At the edge of the shore, I created math problems in the sand and we acted out our favorite books. When Instagram came along, I started posting some of my weirdness for all to see. Many of my friends didn't understand. They would ask, what curriculum do you use? Or how do you have time to do this? And when do you do school? It was hard to explain that this was school. But then there were others who chimed in and said, me too or that's my favorite way to spend a school day. Slowly but surely, one weird mama after another came out of the woodwork and connected. We came together at gatherings and started telling our stories. We were inspired and encouraged by each other and shared the best and worst things we did. We met in Virginia and Oregon and Long Beach and Texas and Nashville and Portland. And the number of wild and free mamas is growing by the day. I am weird, you are weird, our children are weird, and we wouldn't have it any other way because weirdness births dreamers and artists, authors and poets, mathematicians and scientists, and those who see the world through a different lens. Weird, as it turns out, is wonderful. We'll hear from Elsie in just a moment, but first, I wanted to tell you about two opportunities for you to experience the beauty of the Wild and Free Farm Village. Spring is a celebration of life, a time of awakening, imagination, and appreciation for the natural world. In short, spring brings out the wild in us after a long winter's nap. That's why we're hosting a Spring Mama Retreat at the Farm Village on May 22nd through 24th. Join a gathering of wild and free mamas who are looking to refresh their souls, spend time in nature, meet kindred spirits, and reignite their passion for raising lifelong learners. And if you'd like your whole family to experience the Farm Village, we're hosting our first Midsummer Family Festival at the Farm Village on June 26th through 28th. You can come with your whole family for either a day trip or an overnight camping experience. There will be fun-filled activities, live music, great food, outdoor adventures, and nightly entertainment. To find out more about either one of these events, visit bewildandfree.org/upcoming. Elsie Uticello is a monthly contributor to the Wild and Free content bundles and a beloved presenter at most of our conferences. She leaves us rolling in the aisles and shedding tears at her heart-tugging insights all at once. She recently spoke at our Wild and Free Franklin conference about managing motherhood on the hard days of homeschooling, and we can't wait to share this talk with you. Before we get into it, let me just say that Elsie shares a story at the beginning that you may not want your little ones to hear, so just be mindful of who's listening. Okay, let's listen in. Last Sunday, I got
1: to have lunch with the dearest, sweetest mama from Freeport, Bahamas, 21 years old, with her one-month-old baby, who was two weeks old when Hurricane Dorian hit and sat over their island for days. And she's sitting there sipping her sweet tea and telling me how she grabbed him and watched the water rising and rising and rising And so she held him like this and walked out into a Category 5 hurricane to seek higher ground. That's motherhood. You know what else is motherhood? Her sitting there sipping her tea and taking care of her child's needs. There's a different kind of courage that we need for that day-in, day-out routine of living out the magnificent, miraculous Magicalness that is motherhood. The stuff that has nothing to do with storms or floodwaters. Just the normal courage we need to get up and do everything day in and day out. I think sometimes we forget that. I wanted to tell you a story. I'm just going to be honest. I'm like terrified. I've been like, for days, been like, oh my gosh, this could go over so badly. But I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) So if you don't like it, Okay, I wanted to tell you a story about a day when I had to test my courage as a newly minted mama of four. So back in the winter of 2012, my husband Jeff and I were living in the little town of Whitehall, Pennsylvania. I had just given birth to our fourth child, and our eldest was going to turn five a month after our six-year wedding anniversary. So if you're great at sex math, you can figure out really quickly... (laughs) that we got married and stayed pregnant for six years. So this created a lot of empathy in my mother for me. So she came up from Miami for the birth and stayed for six glorious weeks so that I could nurse my baby while oblivious to the reality of the three children wreaking havoc downstairs. The basic plan was my mom would come and just throw snacks at them while I nursed upstairs. So the six weeks came and went and suddenly I found myself Totally alone on a Tuesday morning with not another adult in sight with two pressing needs: milk and library books. Which is funny because I already have a lot of library books and I'd been lactating for five years straight. <laughs> but there you have it. We needed milk and the next magic tree house book. It was time to put my courage to the test. So we arrived at the grocery store and I began preparing myself for what feels like battle. I strapped the baby to my chest, sat the toddler in the cart, and asked the preschoolers to do what in our family we call the pirate ride. And this is when you have two children step onto that little bracket under the cart and then hold onto the cart with both hands. And the purpose is multifaceted. This prevents them from grabbing unsanctioned items off the shelf, but also they think they're being pirates. So it works. And this is really just an attempt on my part to attach everyone I have birthed to the cart in some way in the hopes of maintaining some semblance of order while I shop. So we did okay until someone had to go to the bathroom. And that someone was me, because, girl, (laughs) this is true. After four children, like, my ability to hold it till we got home was non-existent. Like, a week later, I told someone that story, and they're like, oh, do you have a weak pelvic floor? And I'm like, what's a pelvic floor? I don't even know anymore. So, yes, I'm about to pull a Jen Pepito and talk about peeing while on stage. Here we go. So, maybe some of you have had the experience of peeing in a public restroom with four children under five in the same tiny stall. When done successfully, it is akin to some of the feats performed in Cirque du Soleil. If you have not, never fear. The Lord will sanctify you in other ways on your motherhood journey. Um... I'll set the scene here first. So thanks to my personal genetics inherited from a long ancestral line of short, squatty mountain dwellers from the island of Cuba, um, I have established a few laws of basic bathroom physics based on my particular short, round body shape. The first is that I am incapable of wearing a baby while completely sitting down and reaching one or both arms out to grab the backs of three shirts at the same time. I really hope no one Instagrams that look. <laughs> Please be kind to me. All right, now I hold their shirts to make sure they are facing the door, but also to ensure that they are not actually physically touching the door because I'm afraid of our entire family succumbing to a housewide pandemic of diphtheria because some male child had the brilliant idea to lick the back of a bathroom stall. So, and I learned... <laughs> Very quickly, that further restraint is needed to prevent jailbreaking, which would leave me vulnerable to exposure once the stall door swings out of my reach. So, my arms are outstretched in an interesting mixture of both push and pull, depending on which child said arms is affixed to. So, due to my frame, cannot completely sit down while doing this, so I must do the ever-graceful cowboy squat and gently cantilever myself over the porcelain at just the right angle. However, it is difficult to determine the right angle when I have a baby obstructing my view. <laughs> so... Oh, buckle up. Um, <laughs> that was just the process. We haven't even got to the story yet. Okay. I'll tell you what actually happened that day on our way to the bathroom. So we encountered a snazzy display of half-priced dog bones, like the big, rawhide kind, which back then my sweet little boys called boneses or bonies or sometimes, to our short-lived amusement, boners. (laughs) Wouldn't you know it? There was a picture on that display that looked just like our little West Highland Terrier, Mr. Frank Lloyd Wright, Unicello. And upon encountering this display, three little arms stretched out with such, oh, joy and adoration and great expectance, and they said, Frankie! Only I was bursting, so I went right past it. So it was more like, Frankie! And this caused my two-year-old to begin wailing at the top of his lungs. No! Frankie's big boner! (laughs) I want Frankie's big boner! (sighs) This amount of noise made his empathetic big brother start crying too. So by the time... I abandoned the cart, unloaded the children, and backed up all my genetic cargo into the stall. I had two out of four children crying. My second-born child was not pleased to suddenly find himself sandwiched between two highly emotive siblings, and so he began growling and hitting and hissing and fighting to get away. I had to unzip and lower my pants while blocking his little hammer fist blows. All this struggling jarred the sleeping baby. Can you guess what happens next? The baby woke up, and he started crying. And when he started crying, my milk began to let. (laughs) So there I was, mere mortal of frail flesh, trying to meet one of life's most basic needs. Only I was trapped in a small, confined space with a crying baby, a crying preschooler, a snorting wolverine disguised as a three-year-old, and two-year-old that would not stop shouting, no matter how much I pleaded, I want Frank's big boner. (laughs) So, I didn't know this at the time, but this moment would foreshadow so many other moments (laughs) in mothering and homeschooling. In short, All of the forethought of delicate physics and balancing and restraining and coordinating coordinating and organizing could sometimes be dashed to pieces with the introduction of children with wills and desires and dreams of their own. So I look back at that story now and I laugh. I laugh a lot. In fact, I get excited because I see great potential for future wedding rehearsal dinner glory. (laughs) And by that, I mean revenge. But can you guess what my reaction was that day? It wasn't laughter. (laughs) Spoiler alert. I gathered my children, and the last shreds of my dignity, tried to clean the stall as best as I could, and left the store without buying milk. I threw children into car seats and growled at them. I growled again at the realization that you cannot slam the door of a minivan, in frustration when the minivan comes equipped with automatic side doors, because it's like... You been there? (laughs) That was the laugh of those who have been there. (laughs) I got into the front seat, saw sprinkles of urine on my pink Converse sneakers, and I cried. I cried so hard, I didn't notice that someone pulled into the space next to us, and when they slammed the car door, it startled me. And because I have PTSD, the startle triggered my adrenaline, which kicked off the beginnings of a panic attack, and the day got worse. And when we finally made it home, I went straight to Jesus and wrote this in the margin of my Bible study fellowship notes. I scrawled out this terrified, sad little confession. I have no control over my own children. I don't know if I can do this. I am afraid of ruining it all. Those three sentences drenched in fear ran in my mind for hours afterwards. And you know... My reaction to that day spiraled out in a way I couldn't understand back then, but I can see it clearly now. A tiny seed took root inside me that awful day at the grocery store and grew undetected for a little bit. I was afraid of failing and ruining it all, so I started looking for more ways to get control. I started spending more time online, researching all these tips and tricks from bloggers on how to manage children, fear sent me to the search bar or the hashtag, and the problem of how to go grocery shopping with lots of small children slowly evolved over time into something altogether different. For me, this was the beginning of an undeniable pattern. Maybe someone out there can relate. Whenever I let fear get a hold of me and my mothering or my homeschooling, fear that read, I have no control, I can't do this, I'm afraid of ruining it all, I would start looking for more ways to control the things around me, to feel like I was doing it right. And because I was surrounded by children I ferociously loved, they became my project. And then my expectations for myself would begin to rise. And so would the expectations for my oftentimes unequipped children, because let's be honest here, controlling children is not the same as equipping children. In my fear of utterly failing, I became more and more afraid of making mistakes. And the space I held for my children's mistakes became narrower and narrower. I hadn't received that memo yet, that just because I get to pick out their curriculum didn't mean I got to pick out their personalities. And this all manifested itself in small and big ways. Sometimes we were in the metaphorical bathroom stall of life with people screaming and crying and fighting. But it wasn't always loud or obvious or dramatic, which stinks because it's often the quiet, slithering kind that gets the strongest chokehold, the kind that later announces itself with the big fat lie that it's too late to fix anything, too late to course correct, and you have to live with the knowledge that you blew it. That's a very big lie indeed the kind of mother must take up her very best and biggest and woodenest sword against. Over the years, I have been gently course-corrected by community and example, by truth and by testimony. That's one of the mercies of being a mother. We have the opportunity to grow alongside our children. Ours to take our ours to delay until it all comes to a head. We have that opportunity. Aside from scripture, the voices of older, wiser women were the main pull in my life that gently encouraged me in the right direction. Their stories of the heartbreaks and triumphs of motherhood, the stories of the children they raised into adulthood and how very little they had to do with each child's personality and why that ended up being a great and liberating thing, all of them whispered encouragement and laughter into my heart. By the way, if you're sitting there thinking about the lack of mentor figures in your life, I want to encourage you to just keep reaching out. Don't give up. Meanwhile, grab a book or two and drench your mental landscape with the likes of Ma Ingalls and Marmee and Marilla and other beautiful heroines in literature. Those made up a healthy percentage of the older, wiser women in my life that I'm talking about here. Don't wait in idleness for someone else to shake you up. Soak in those stories. Put them into practice. Look around you. Find someone to link arms with and prepare yourself to be that older, wiser woman one day. Now we come to the point. Listening to those older, wiser women, whether flesh and blood or on print, and through the natural process of learning alongside my children by walking a hundred trails and turning thousands of read-aloud pages, I found three powerful lessons to hold on to on those hard days of homeschooling and mothering the first learn how to separate failure from hardship by defining our adversity with honesty nothing lands me in more trouble than knee-jerk reactions to nebulous ill-defined situations it's been the struggle of years to remind myself to stop and define before proceeding honesty is one of the most important homeschool tools we have in our possession we can stop in the midst of the madness and ask ourselves what is this moment really about am i actually failing at teaching math or am i just sitting next to a child that feels unequipped to take that next step and it's time for hobbit's second breakfast (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean mine not his (laughs) and please don't burn the math book and panic buy something new let's get some toast and go back a few lessons and review i'm mostly speaking to myself here because long division awaits when we get home so define the adversity This is especially important to practice if you tend to call everything that doesn't work failure. That horrible day at the grocery store, hours after I got home, I put in a call to one of the wisest women I know, my abuela Elvira, a woman who has known adversity and hardship and failure. I told her the story of what happened that day. It's a little hard to translate into English, but this is the sum of it. She said, Negrita, you haven't failed, and you aren't going to fail, at least not in the way you're thinking. It's hard right now, but God has not given you the wrong portion. Don't be afraid. You are still at the beginning. Who said it's over? Continue with what you can continue, and don't call it too early. She was so right. I might have failed to get the milk, but I certainly had not reached the final judgment on my capability as a mother. That is so hard to remember sometimes when the little things have piled up and we hit our breaking point. It's in those moments after I have prayed and had lots of chocolate and calmed down that I have to remind myself that rocky beginnings and rocky middle phases don't predict final outcomes. Just like solid beginnings and solid middles don't predict final outcomes. Not only was it too early to call it failure, at no point in the story of my children's lives is it ever my job to call it My job is to love and persevere till the last breath leaves my body. And when Abuela admonished me to continue with what we can continue, I felt sucker punched. It reminded me of what I was trying so desperately to forget and move on from. The fact that we were still on the outer edges of the most difficult season in our lives. We weren't failing. We were just still in the fight. Sometimes it's really hard to admit that when all we want to do is move on and not be that person in the midst of sadness or crisis anymore. In some ways, it was easier to call myself a failure than to admit that I was still tired, still heartbroken, still lonely, and so, so done talking about it. But we needed it. We needed to acknowledge it with honesty We weren't failures. We were St. George on day two of his fight with the dragon in desperate need of restoration by some magic glowing pool. Down but not out. We still had another day of fighting ahead of us. Friends, we can take a break and get back in the fight. We can wobble and still be in the fight. We can have days that leave us broken and still be in the fight. We can have week after week of bad days and still be in the fight. If it feels like everything is crashing down, stop and ask yourself to define What is really happening here? Is it really and truly failure? Or are you simply in the midst of battling a hard season? If if we can separate the two, we can move forward and find out where we stand, find a way to proceed. Defining puts the power to choose back in our hands. Defining helps us see clearly, so we can frame our response correctly, so we can make a choice not based in fear.
0: We'll be back in just a minute But I wanted to take a moment to let you know that in two weeks we're going to announce our next fall conference in Franklin, Tennessee. If you've never been to a wild and free conference, let me just tell you there is nothing else like it on earth. There are very few places you can come where you can be encouraged in your homeschool journey without the pressure of adopting new programs or products. We have homeschoolers from all backgrounds and methodologies. But this is a place where you can come for sweet community with other mamas, enjoy great music, laugh together, and find kindred spirits for this homeschooling journey. This event always sells out within just a few days. To be the first to hear when it goes live, sign up for our mailing list at bewildandfree.org. Now back to Elsie Uticella.
1: That brings me to the second lesson I'm trying to weave into my daily habit we can take an honest look and define the adversity, then we can evaluate what is required of us and remember the freedom we have to adapt. We need to define our adversity well so we can break out of that chokehold of unreasonable expectation, find out what is truly required of us so we can make our choices and adapt accordingly. I think homeschooling is one of the most beautiful pictures of adaptability out there. And hardship is the season that requires our adaptability the most. And that little intersection reminds me of my friend Sharon. If you don't follow Sharon McKeeman online, start. Sharon is an active homeschooling mother and beloved member of Wild and Free. She suffered a leg injury a little over a year ago in which she lost the use of her leg. Sharon is now, in her own words, living an experience of adaptability rather than disability. She writes about the slow process of defining her situation and realizing that her leg could not define her as disabled when her response to adversity was adaptability. She recently shared this, when something so essential as walking is taken away, you have to find what you can do. You have to adapt and focus on what can be done. It is this adapting that has shown me that truly there is no limit. And there is always joy in every part of our journey, just waiting for us to uncover and celebrate. It's hard to face what is required of us in times of adversity so we can adapt accordingly. Adapting for Sharon has meant painful hours in physical therapy, a leg brace, an adaptive bike, and many other brilliant gizmos she can use to go after her goals. Maybe for you it's putting kids in school for a season so you can get medical attention or counseling. Maybe it's pulling kids out of public school and homeschooling together for the sake of the kids that just don't fit the mold of traditional school. Maybe it's kissing stressful jobs goodbye and hitting the road with all the kids so you can get back to the heart of what matters. I have friends that each had to do one of those things in the last two years. They prayed, defined, acknowledged what was required. They made these decisions with their hearts in their throats. But each one would make the same decision again and again because Facing what was required of them with honesty led them to adapt in a way that brought their families so much freedom and grace in a season when they needed it most. The point is, we have to find out what we can do. And because we are homeschooling, we have more freedom than most when it comes to the ways in which we can adapt. Think of all the possibilities, all the wonderful things that could happen if our choice was Homeschooling from a place of adaptability instead of control. Some of the most vibrant homeschooling families I know are the ones that don't try to do it all. They find what they can do, and they do it with all their hearts. They've adapted and flourished because of it. I have a little boy that the traditional system would label disabled, but at home and in the world alongside us, he is anything but. He is adaptive and thriving. Remember, dear friend, that you have the power to adapt. Whether it's to focus on the things you can do on that one day of a hard season in the middle of a story you are still right smack dab in the center of. Or Whether it's facing adversity with honesty so you can evaluate what is required, even if it means making the hard right choice for that particular season. (sighs) The hard part. I've spent most of our time talking about definition and response and adaptability within hardship. So it's time to talk about failure itself. Someone once messaged me and asked, do you ever wish you could transport yourself back in time to homeschool? Day number one with what you're using now. I showed this message to one of my boys and he very quickly said, the stuff we do now back then, um, we would not know what to do with it. We hadn't failed towards the right way yet. Also, I don't think we're at the best part of our learning yet anyway. That would be boring. We have more to figure out, don't you think? (laughs) So glad you see it that way, child. (laughs) Yes, we do have more to figure out. We're only at the halfway point. Buckle up and buy some chocolate. So that phrase, failing towards the right way, that's a phrase we use sometimes while we're learning. It's what we call failure that is more like a mistake. Specifically, the mistakes we make while trying to find the right solution. It's a phrase we developed to gently teach my type A child that we can make mistakes and the world will continue spinning. My boy was right. If someone had handed us our present schedule to me all those years ago, I wouldn't have recognized it. I wasn't ready for it. I hadn't made the right mistakes. I didn't know yet that the boys needed exercise before morning time or music before math or a say in what they memorized. I didn't know that their individual pursuits would be the key to motivation and learning. I didn't know that I actually love math or that success does not hang on whether my nine-year-old can read as well as my six-year-old, he hadn't made the right mistakes yet. Each one of those revelations was hard won. And by the way, not because my kids were unwilling to share, it for the most part, they were pretty transparent. I was the stubborn one. Back when I still thought turning my dining room into a public school was the right way to go for us, and nothing would have persuaded me otherwise, except maybe years of making the right mistakes and some hard Hard failure thrown in. Because let the records show, ladies, that what stands between my family seven, eight years ago and now is not all cute mistakes and shiny aha moments. No, no. There is the kind of failure that is truly painful, the kind of failure that isn't a mistake, but rather a sin of pride or selfishness that required confession and apology and forgiveness I can stand here and own with a broken heart that when my eldest was starting out his homeschool journey, oftentimes my actions and thought life and words treated him like he was my project. When Susan Bauer said in Frisco last February, your children are not problems that need to be solved, it hit me hard because once upon a time, that was me. In my desperate attempts for control, I treated him like a problem that needed to be solved rather than as a person who needed me to come alongside them in loving discipleship. I miss that for more time than I like to think about. There was goodness and beauty and joy and laughter together, but there was that wound there too. When we fail, well and truly fail, we would be wise to honestly call it what it is, so we can recognize what is required of us, so we can choose well, so we can learn from it. If it requires the smashing of idols, sister, find the biggest mallet you can and show your kids how it is done. If it's a simple apology or contrition and repentance, Repentance, speak loud and clear and show the kids how it is done. If you are devastated and your heart is broken over your choices, say the words out loud and show the kids how to deal with hard feelings. If we need to get help, whether in the form of more community or professional help, show the kids what it means to be proactive in getting that Help. Show them how to evaluate failure. How to take an honest look at it so you can learn from it. So you can change course. So you can gather your courage and risk it all again. Show them that we can fail without enslaving ourselves to fear. Walk it out and model it. And you will give your children the kind of education no standardized test can measure. The kind of education that makes the phrase academic success ring hollow with insufficiency. Every time we fail, we have the opportunity to choose the courage to actively walk it out, or we can choose fear in all her bedfellows. And let me tell you, you know it by now. Fear will never birth more love for our children. It will never encourage us to really see the truth of what is happening around us so we can proceed with clarity. It leaves us in a haze of panic and indecision, To hear the words i have no control over my children in a voice of fear is quite different from hearing the liberating truth that we have no control over our children (laughs) and the truth of those words frees us up to remember that we get to come alongside them in loving discipleship it reminds us that our story is not their story as susan so wisely said This truth should give us courage to fight alongside our children with the full force of our love and capability and resourcefulness and great and unique gifts and watch them soar the way they were meant to soar. This brings me to the last lesson I'm holding on to. Learn that by choosing courage, we will discover our tremendous capacity for the further courage needed to face adversity head on. So my little pied plovers, lest you think I'd get up here without quoting my girl, Charlotte Mason, here is what she thinks about your ability to handle it. Then there is what we may call the courage of our capacity, the courage which assures us that we can do the particular work which comes in our way and will not lend an ear to the craven fear which reminds us of failures in the past and unfitness in the present. Yes, girl, yes. Stab fear with truth and it will die every time. A few years ago, I wrote this in my homeschool planner. I said, how can I live a life of fear in which my actions directly countermand the words of beauty and courage and freedom I read over my boys every day? These words, these stories aren't just for them. I am growing too. In the end, I feel that the lesson lived will trump the lesson read. I must live with courage and put the power and beauty of these words to life. A decade of courageous boyhood and wild and free living has left us well-versed in the art of bruises, stitches, scrapes, stings, bites, burns, splinters, which means we've had a decade of recalibrating, adjusting, dealing with disappointment, showing mercy and empathy, sacrifice, care, self-education, humility, understanding physical limitations, the value of second and third tries, facing fears, acceptance, fighting dragons, overcoming obstacles, and failing with the knowledge that we will survive that failure. A decade of mothering and all the battle scars that have come with it has taught me many of those same lessons. How beautiful and precious It is to live a life of learning. There is no need to pretend anything when you have an earnest desire to learn and grow. Isn't that freeing? I think the greatest adventure in homeschooling is remembering that we get to live out that truth with confidence alongside our children. I'll close with this story. I once gave my children a survey to fill out about their homeschool experience. Don't, don't think about why. <laughs> the very first question read, what is one word you would use to describe your homeschool life? And my third thirdborn raised his hand and asked, Mom, how do you spell pantless? <laughs> his face was completely serious. The kid did not blink once. The word you would use to describe our homeschool life together is pantless? I asked. And he paused, and nodded with satisfaction. It's the main word that counts, I think. <laughs> I had one of those brief out-of-body experiences <laughs> where I imagined myself saying, what? That's the word? What about all the things we've done? Does that mean nothing to you? Where did I go wrong? Also, how do you not know how to spell pantless? It's pant and less. but I moved away from the imaginary conversation starring my stupid pride and remembered the actual little boy before me. The bright-eyed, squirmy boy with crazy bedhead, no pants, and a tiny smudge of jelly near his lip from breakfast half an hour earlier. The boy who survived that medical accident when he was in his mama's belly, who defied all medical odds and expectations. The one who lives his life like a giant exclamation point in this crazy story God is writing. So I asked him, Are you enjoying your time at the Academy for the Pantless? <laughs> yes, it's the best, he cheered. I told him I was glad to hear it. Then my eldest boy, the boy who bore the brunt of my rocky homeschool beginnings, said, Courage. Of course I pounced on that. <gasps> I love that word, I said. <laughs> Yeah, I love learning the way we do it now. I can do a lot of things, more than I ever knew I could. And even if I make a big mistake, I can try again tomorrow and still be me and still be loved, right? If I get stuck, you and Dad are with me. That gives me courage. Oh, courage of capacity. That's what Charlotte Mason calls it. I just read that in this kind of cool, mostly weird book she wrote called Ourselves. I said that because I couldn't help myself. And because he was a 10-year-old boy who could not care less about Charlotte Mason and her thoughts on education, he said, um, that's great for your friend Charlotte. Mom, can I please go play with Legos now? I'm in the middle of something so important. And because I'm a mom who's learning to learn from her mistakes in both big and small ways, scrapped the rest of the survey, and I said, sure, have fun. This was such a hard talk to write because I was, as I was envisioning it, I kept thinking about this empty chair over here to the right that Jen sat in last year with this huge beaming smile on her face because I was going to be calling out names. By the way, if you got called out, know that she was the main person that picked your name. And I kept thinking, how should I end this talk? And I thought about what Jen said to me last year and she said, Let them leave knowing how brave they are and that they can do this. So I'm going to read what my boy said again because I know that's probably what Jen would have told me to do. So close your eyes, friend. I love learning the way we do it now. I can do a lot of things, more than I ever knew I could. And even if I make a big mistake, I can try again tomorrow and still be me and still be loved. If I get stuck, I know I'm not alone. And that gives me courage.
0: Thanks, Elsie. At the end of her talk, Elsie referenced our friend Jen Naraki, who was a cherished part of the Wild and Free community for many years. She passed away this past year after a long fought battle with cancer. Those of us who knew her will never forget her, and her words and wisdom will continue to live on in this community. Friends, don't forget to check out the events and retreats we have coming up at the Wild and Free Farm Village this spring and summer. We're mostly an online community, but we take every opportunity we can to come together in real life. And the Farm Village is one of the best places to do this. To learn more, visit bewildandfree.org upcoming. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next week for the Wild and Free podcast.